Ever since Governor Katie Hobbs took office in January, the story's been how she is balancing being a Democratic governor with a predominantly Republican legislature. It's been an uphill battle to get her staff appointments approved, and she quickly surpassed former Governor Janet Napolitano for a record number of vetoes in her first year. And yet, she got a budget that arguably has something for everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of The Gaggle. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. Today I'm joined by my co-host Mary Jo Pitzel to go over what's in the state budget. Then our colleagues Ray Stern and Stacey Barchinger dissect with us who are the winners and losers of the 2023 legislative budget. Mary Jo, before we get into the analysis, give our listeners a quick summary of what's actually in the budget. Well, it's a $17.8 billion budget. That's about the same amount of money that the current year has. This is basically a hold-the-line budget for um, overall state operations. Biggest headlines out of it, for your average Arizonan, look for a check in the mail. There are rebates for families who have children and dependents, checks of up to $250 per child capped at three kids per household. Probably politically, the big headline is that we got a budget out early in the second week of May that is bipartisan and that was negotiated by a governor who clearly has had a lot of policy differences with Republican lawmakers. For those of us who had mid-June as the over-under for the state budget this year, this truly was a surprise. Let's now turn to our fellow reporters here at The Republic. Ray, Stacy. thank you both for taking time to recap the state budget for us instead of, you know, sleeping or something less stressful than what you've been through. I think it's fair to say this budget is a surprise. Governor Hobbs seems to have gotten a fair amount of the things that she was looking for. Republicans also got a lot of the things that they were hoping for as well. All in all, that sounds like, dare I say, normal political compromise and with notable speed. So, Stacy, this has been a very bumpy beginning for Governor Hobbs. Given all the turbulence around her, how did we wind up with a budget that she can feel so good about? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I mean, let's rewind for our listeners back to January. We have the first Democratic governor in 14 years. She has a state of the state speech and a budget proposal that Republicans who lead the legislature pronounced dead on arrival. She pledged to repeal private school vouchers, the universal expansion that they won last year, while standing feet in front of House Speaker Bentoma, who was the architect of that legislation. There were multiple examples of public back and forth, the governor, Republican leaders saying they wanted to work together, but then ultimately feeling like the other side wasn't really following up on that. They didn't really mean that. There were multiple examples of, you know, these olive branches, the governor saying she would work with Republicans, her door was open, combined with her pledges to flip the legislature next year that kind of made Republicans feel like those weren't true overtures to their caucus. And, you know, at the time, we heard a lot of lawmakers talking about we were going to be here working on the budget through the end of June, a late night into July, were we going to have to shut down the budget? But that changed several weeks ago. 
the governor, Senate President Warren Peterson, House Speaker Ben Toma, and a small number of staff for each of them began these meetings that I think at one point were almost every other day to see what sort of deal they could reach on the budget. And that's what we've seen come out this week. As Mary Jo said, it's an almost $18 billion spending plan. A big thing that they did that the governor says is good, some have been critical of, is they bought the votes. They gave lawmakers a share of the state's $2 billion surplus to do kind of whatever they wanted with these pet projects like road projects, giving money to the Prescott Rodeo we heard a lot about this week. Um, So the governor says that's $650 million investing in infrastructure. Some consultants around the Capitol say that's hitting the easy button to get your budget done. Well, Ray, Republicans had their own high-profile problems, perhaps best embodied by the expulsion of uh, election denier Liz Harris a couple months ago. That split the GOP caucus. Yet every Republican voted yes on this budget a budget that was shaped by a Democratic governor who they're not enamored of. So how did Republicans reach a deal that they can live with? And how did it happen so quickly? Part of that is that the Republican leaders have the trust of the caucus to some extent. Warren Peterson in particular, he's like one of their people, I guess you could say. Um, (laughs) And he's very right-wing, and it's a more right-wing legislature this year. And so maybe they trust him. But also, there's the fact that they did this kind of in secret and then sprung it on everyone. But Republicans in particular had this ability to pick 20 to $30 million worth of projects that could serve their constituencies. They really like that. So what Democrats are calling pork, they're calling the great way to get stuff done for my constituents. And by the way, it moves the budget along. Right. But Democrats got... You could argue pork as well. Um, They got a big pot of money. They were able to distribute it. They just didn't distribute it in the same way that the uh, Republicans did. But that's partially because of the Democratic leadership. They directed where the money would go for the most part. Although I've talked to some members that said they did get a few things that they wanted more uh, school money or or something that, that they had a personal interest in. I also want to just say that it's kind of notable that this was done sort of in a very non-transparent way. It was basically three people in a room deciding on an $18 billion budget and then springing it on people, whereas normally there might be a lot of public hearings in the Appropriations Committee where public can come in. There are many things in the budget that people are applauding, such as $150 million deposit into the Housing Trust Fund. There was a late amendment that has allowed some money to come out of that trust fund to be used to establish basically another homeless campus and homeless service campus somewhere in the state. So watch for that. There's a $300 million boost for K-12. It will help them keep pace with uh, inflation. There was an increase in the number of families that will be eligible for the children's health care program, kids care. And then, of course, there are all these road and local projects from money for Lowell Observatory to money to fix the bridge in Lake Havasu City. So lots in there for people to like and to hate, depending on where you come from. Okay, so you've talked a lot about what is in the budget. Let's talk about some of the things that are not in the budget and why is that? I talked to the chair of the House Appropriations Committee, David Livingston, and he was telling me that what he called some humongous things are not in the budget. Um, And that's partially because of the way that the things were parceled out on a per member basis predominantly. One of the things he mentioned that he personally wanted was a $600 million pension fix that he claims would have saved the state a billion and a half dollars. So that's not in there. 
Another big thing that we saw bubble up as an issue last week as they were pushing the budget through is any meaningful action on private school vouchers. As I mentioned, the governor wanted to repeal the universal expansion. She was unable to do that. And that saw her at odds with one of her key constituencies, Save Our Schools. You know, this is a name that's synonymous with public school funding here in Arizona. And last week they held a press conference calling her out for not doing more on that. You can point to things that are ultimately not in this final budget that are wins. The governor was able to end results-based funding for K-12 schools. That amounts to almost $70 million a year that the districts will get ongoing. Republicans can point to, uh, you know, they were able to kill the governor's proposal to give university scholarships to dreamers. You know, those are the students of undocumented immigrants who basically grew up here, went to school here, but might not have legal status. So that's a win for the Republican side. Given all of that, are there any clear winners or losers in all of this? How, how do you sort it out politically? I mean, I think it's really hard to tell. You know, like we said at the top, everybody has something they can point to as a victory, especially these piecemeal pork projects. You can go back to your hometown and say, look, this road is going to be smoother, hopefully in a couple of years because of the work that we did there. I will say there a lot of insiders at the Capitol, including some of the governor's allies, are really questioning if she pushed hard enough on some things and things that are sort of adjacent to the budget. Like, I believe she's gotten three of 36 agency nominees confirmed in her first, what, five months. And, you know, that's been a definite point of tension with the Republican caucuses. And I have no evidence that the governor's office or her aides meaningfully pushed to get those people through as part of this budget deal. And I would add to that that maybe sometimes pork can be good for constituencies and, and the state, as long as it's done the right way, I suppose. I was talking to Representative Kwong Win yesterday, and, and he defended the rodeo fairgrounds money that's going there that really people have talked a lot about as being the prime example of the pork. And, you know, he, he brought up the point that private enterprises said they would match the money. So it's going to get 30 million instead of the 15 million that's going to this. And that by making these fairgrounds better, it will attract economic activity that will benefit the entire area. And so the constituents will probably notice that. Yeah, but looking at the numbers, uh, you know, you have four times as much money in the budget for these piecemeal projects as you do for water projects. You have twice as much for the pork projects as you do for the one-time boost for K through 12. And I think to build on Stacy's point, one of the Democrats that voted no on the package, uh, Representative Amish Shah, pointed out that this doesn't do anything. There's no money for the, the large state agency operations, just the ongoing work of the government, which is going to continue, but you don't have, it was a hold the line budget, you know, no new money really for, for DPS, for health services. We certainly heard the attorney general and the secretary of state complaining about that. I mean, speaking to the politics of this, I wonder if the Democratic Party comes out a loser just because there was all of this, you know, seeming infighting. I know the governor made calls last week to Democratic lawmakers trying to get them on board, but that happened largely after they started publicly objecting to the lack of action on vouchers in this budget. We saw Attorney General Chris Mays, Adrian Fontes, also Democrats come out and be very critical of this budget, which, you know, if you're a Democratic consultant, you want to try to avoid that image of infighting. 
Well, clearly, Governor Hobbs and the Republican majorities haven't seen eye to eye on legislative matters and policy matters. But yet, they got this budget done. So where do we go from here? What does this maybe suggest for next year? Are we going to see a redo of, of this process? Well, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of that for a couple of reasons. I think we saw Governor Hobbs build a lot of relationships this year with Republican lawmakers and leaders who will still be in place next year. That's a good thing. I wonder if that came at the expense of relationships with Democrats that she might need on a budget next year. You know, Representative Cesar Aguilar of Phoenix said last week when he ultimately did vote on the budget, why do we have a Democratic governor if this is what our budget ultimately looks like? (laughs) I think there's a question of expectations there. You know, Democrats still have to work in this reality, and this will be true next year, that Republicans are the majority in both chambers. But that brings up another good point, which is you're also going to have the governor more actively working to flip the legislature next year. So while they're trying to craft a budget, she is going to be pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into changing those seats from Republican to Democrat, which I think will add tension. And then quite frankly, based on what we know now, we don't anticipate that the state will have as much money to work with. So we won't have a $2 billion surplus that these leaders can parse out to individual lawmakers to buy votes. I think it's going to be a lot harder next year. With Governor Hobbs having signed the budget, it looks like seemingly the hardest part of the legislative session is over, but it's not over. So what's left to be done before the legislature can adjourn sine die and go home for a while? There are definitely a few dozen bills that are left to do, but also one of the main ones is the Proposition 400 transportation bill. Whether they are able to do it or not is another story. So this is going to involve some more difficult negotiation. And this is a massive transportation bill for Maricopa County that would uh, improve roads and transit, which Republicans uh, are not uh, as happy about. There's also talk about throwing the repeal of the rental tax on top of this, which really complicates things because that is opposed by cities and towns and, and other people. Well, thank you both, as always, for joining us on The Gaggle. Your insights are always appreciated. If folks want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? I'm at S. Barchinger. That's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. And I'm at Ray Stern. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. We'll have a regularly scheduled episode of the show for you on Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions you want us to answer or topics you'd like us to cover, reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com or give us a call at 602-444-0804. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode is edited and produced by Amanda Liberto with help from Kaylee Monahan. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>